Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Want to start with a question? Are you ready? Are you having a good day? Yes. <laughs> Anybody having a bad day? Have you ever had a bad day? <laughs> you've had bad days before. All right. And you've had good days. And we have always have had good and bad days. Everyone that's alive has experienced them. There are days when you hope for a better life. You think, oh, I'm going to buy a car or a truck, as Mr. Timothy would like. Yes. Or maybe a bigger house so there's more room for the kids. Maybe a vacation to exotic places with palm trees or whatever there might be. We think of these things and we think, oh, wouldn't that be great? That would be a good day if I could get there and we think we could do it. Maybe it's possible. Just even thinking that way gives us a better day. We're optimistic, we're upbeat. And then on a bad day, we wonder if we're ever going to get ahead. We wonder why we have such bad luck. We almost feel like we're being singled out by the world and picked on. You ever feel that way? It's not fair, we say to ourselves, and we might not even say it to anyone else, but that's how we feel. Are you having a good day? Are you having a bad day? That's the question. We determine the day that we're having, the day right now, by how we think about the days ahead and how things will turn out. We look to the future and we guess at that future without knowing what will really happen, and based on an uneducated guess, we determine if this is a good day or a bad day. I've uh, had good days and bad days this week. On Monday night, I gathered together with uh, fellow members of our condo, and we sat and listened to the condo board chair and the lawyer and contractors. And they said how they're going to renovate the place because there's structural flaws from the original builder. And uh, people were looking at fifteen dollars to $20,000 extra that they would have to pay out. It was a bad day for some people because they thought, where am I going to find that money? I don't have that money. I don't know where I'm going to get that money. I was sitting there and it was a good day for me. It was a good day for me because I knew this was coming. I had set aside money for it. I was all prepared for it. When I bought the unit, I knew it was in there, and I figured that into the sales price. It was a good day for me. It was a bad day for them. But that's because of their expectations. They don't know where the supply will come from. I remember when I had a bad day when we learned that Sandra had cancer and and uh, the doctors were saying it was going to cost so-and-so. You're, you're not from the state, so you may not understand that. But the, what they uh, basically asked the financial people, they said, how much is it going to cost? And the answer was, we don't know. I said, what do, what do you mean you don't know? I said, John, once you go into surgery, you can go from 5000 to 50000 in a heartbeat. You just don't know. It depends what happens. 
And that's just the surgery. Chemo is a whole nother deal. It's more expensive than the surgery. And basically, the financial consultant said, John, you can't afford it. I don't care how much money you've got. You can't afford it. You're going to go bankrupt. The number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States of America is medical. And the only way you're going to afford it is to get rid of your money as fast as you can so you can get on the government dole right away. But I had another choice. I could come back here. It was a bad day when we heard the cancer word. It was a bad day when I had to leave my business and sell my house and leave my church and say goodbye to the kids, and we came to Calgary. But it was a good day because God was also ahead of us, providing for us. How do you determine if it's really a good day or a bad day? If you really don't know what tomorrow might bring, because I had no idea what was waiting for me in Calgary. I had hopes, I had trust, but I had no idea. Here I am having a good day with you. I had no idea this was in my future. But we based our ideas of what is a good day and a bad day based on our assumptions and uneducated assumptions about the future. But there is a better way to live than living in fear of the future. Because even if you have a good day today, you might be fearful of tomorrow, and so you're putting stuff away, and you're anxious about what the government might take from you or whatever, what bills might come along. Some of you are having a bad day, you just can't see it turn around, but it's always anxiousness about the future and what it might bring. A better way to live is to live not by fear, but by faith. To live not in your future, or in your past, but it be in this moment that we're in right now and be here present with God. Because this is where God is found. Not just in your future or in your past, but primarily in this moment together. And that's the theme we're going to pick up, believe it or not, when we look at the story of the 5,000 being fed from loaves and fishes. And that's where we're picking up this story. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verse 29 and working our way down. If you've got your Bibles, you can mark them up and make notes in there and what the Lord might put on your heart. Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39. Jesus has been traveling around. He's, uh, we've followed the story so far where he's... Uh, started his ministry with John the Baptist for the baptism for repentance. Paul, uh, John was preaching repentance. After that, his disciples and Jesus were also preaching repentance of sins to come into the kingdom of God and to be baptized. And as they're going along, uh, Jesus has begun to perform miracles. And last time we heard about signs and wonders and miracles that were taking place. And uh, word is spreading about this miracle worker who preaches repentance. And that's where we pick it up. Uh, a large crowd has been following Jesus and trying to track him. Verse 29, departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled at, saw the mute speaking. They saw 
the crippled restored. They saw the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. We have a moment in the life of Jesus Christ in this past. He simply just met people along the way. He's walking along with his chosen 12. He's calling people to repentance from their sins and teaching. But he also has compassion. There are people who are sick and ill. And in very intimate one-on-one settings, he's touching and he's healing and he's restoring lives. Well, he occasionally tells them, now don't tell anyone, like he had the leper, you remember that story? He said, just go to show yourself to the priest and don't tell anyone. But he blabbed it everywhere. And then other people started following him and he started healing the paralytic and that really got out. And before you know it, a crowd is following him. Initially, the crowd that was following Jesus wanted to hear his message about repentance and coming into the kingdom of God and being ready for the new age of the kingdom of God that was coming. And then the word got out about his miracles and wonders. And she ever noticed that the message is often eclipsed by the effect. So there he was preaching about repentance, but People wanted to get to the good part. Let's skip over that and let's just get to the miracle service. I want my healing now, right? And so a large crowd gathered. And this is the only way, always the way it happens. And down throughout the history of the church, our message has always been repentance and coming into the kingdom of God by salvation in Jesus Christ. But along with that, marvelous things start happening. Changes occur, miracles take place. And then people come for the miracles and not for the repentance. And that's a problem. Because what people are looking for is, I want a quick fix now to keep on the course I've already set for myself. I don't really want to change the course I'm on. I, I've got a flat tire, I want it fixed. I've got a lame leg, I've got sight or diabetes, so I want to go back to the life I was living. But what Jesus is really interested in is not you going back to the life you were living, but to live a whole different kind of life. A life based on his message of salvation and repentance. Repentance is something you do, something different. Take this day the Lord has made and ask yourself, what has the Lord Jesus Christ, what would he have me do this day? To live for Father God today is better than gambling on an unknown future. Trusting in God today is better than the fear of the unpredictable luck of tomorrow. Faith in God today is not a gamble. This is a sure and real moment you can have right now. As people trusted Jesus and what he said about repentance, the crowds grew. But the message of Jesus is still the same, even if the crowd didn't know it. Now, here's the great truth I want you to get. Slide number eight. Repentance is the foundations of miracles. Repentance is the foundation of a miracle. A miracle and its greatness in our mind, you think about it, is based on how our expectations of the future have been exceeded today. I never saw that coming. If you win the lottery and you didn't expect to win the lottery because you never bought a ticket because you're a good Christian, you don't believe in gambling, 
But then you won the lottery. How did you win your lottery? I don't know. Your mom went and bought you a ticket and gave it to you. And then that turns out to be the winning ticket. And then you come to the pastor and say, I want all this money. I'm going to give you 10%. Well, I don't believe in gambling. Yes, but I didn't gamble. It was given to me. (laughs) Oh, well, I'll take your 10%. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's a miracle. Didn't expect it. It's wonderful. We measure miracles by whether we expected them or not. Right? Unless you're an Eeyore. Oh, I knew it wouldn't work out. This this world's horrible. See? See? I was right. It turned out terrible. And then you never see any wonder or any miracle around you at all. What the difference is your perception, your expectation of the day. I would suggest to you miracles are happening all the time. They're happening right now in this place. But you have to be able to see them. And the only way you're going to see them is by repentance. Repentance is the basis of a miracle. Those who followed Jesus because of his message of repentance were much smaller than the group that came to him to perform another sign, wonder, and miracle. The crowd had grown. The numbers varied because they didn't have ushers counting how many had come to this mountain to seek him out. Says he's up on a mountain away from the city in a wilderness place. He thought he'd get away from everyone. That's not the case. They all climbed the mountain. Who climbs the mountain? The lame, the blind, the sick. They're climbing mountains. They're going to wilderness places. That's crazy. If I'm a pastor, so I think about accessibility and uh, taking care of people. Jesus goes to the most remote place, very difficult for the sick to get to, and he has 5,000 plus coming to him. They don't even know really how many were there. There's probably much more than 5,000 people that were at that place. And they believe that he could perform a miracle for them. This was just the ones who could find him. And there were many others that wanted to find him. Jesus had two great loves. The love of God, Father God. He and the Father were one. And he also loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he could not turn away from those whom God loved. He longed to be alone with Father God. He loved to have that solitude and that communion with God Because that's when uh, the world uh, made sense. It wasn't crazy. That's when he could get perspective and power and fellowship, nurturing his soul. And when the people came, they were very needy. You ever notice that? Do people demand things of you? I I have uh, people I know that are like, they call them introverts. Have you ever heard of that? And when they're around other people, they can get along and socialize, but they, oh, I'm so drained. I've been around all these people. They just take so much from me. And people can be very needy, and Jesus knew that, but he loved them, and he felt their need, and he wanted to meet those needs. Jesus being in the moment, knowing God's love and our need, he just let the Holy Spirit move in power through him. And by faith, the seekers received 
And it says, the crowd marveled as the mute were speaking, the crippled restored, the lame were walking, the blind seeing, and glorifying the God of Israel. It goes on in verse 32 to say, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. When was your last meal? You had breakfast this morning? And I, I remember sitting in church listening to the preacher and it's getting close to noon. And I'm starving. When will he finish? But here they are, three days into it and nothing to eat. Would you stay with me for three days and not eat? I don't know if I'd last, but they're here with Jesus, three days, nothing to eat. The sick, the lame, the blind, and everyone's trying to help them out. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where would we go? So many loaves in this desolate places to buy that, to satisfy such a large crowd. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. The ancient miracle of feeding of the 5,000 is uh, found in all four Gospels. Did you know that? It's the only miracle apart from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that is found in all four Gospels. It had such a huge impact on these apostles. But if you read these accounts, they're not the same accounts. They, they tell the story differently. There was a lot going on that day. If we all witnessed the same event, do you think we'd all have a different version of what took place? Absolutely. That's the way it is with witnesses. It doesn't mean that one is contradicting the other. They're just aspects of the same big event, but they all agreed it was a significant event. It's, a, it's an important moment, a changing point in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, about midway through his ministry. We have uh, the Apostle John's record of this is different than the Gospel of Matthew. And John, like all famous Johns, are, are insightful people. They understand things. And uh, John was really keyed into relationships and who people were. And he liked to name names. And I find John's account of this very telling because it says in John 6, 5 through 9, it says this, Therefore Jesus, lifting his eyes and seeing the large crowd coming to him, said to Philip, didn't say that to all the apostles, he said it to Philip, Where are we to buy the bread so that these people may eat? And he was saying this to test him. John gets Jesus here, and I want you to understand this. So he was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. That, that little phrase, I want to remind you, a great truth I've learned about scriptures. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not to get information. He already knows the answer. When Jesus asks a question... It's a test to show something to you. So he turns to Philip and says, where are we to get the bread? Where are we going to buy the bread so that all these people may eat? And Philip answered him, 200 denarii, what? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to even receive a little bit. 
And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here. It must have been St. Patrick's Day. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? When Philip saw the crowd, he was overwhelmed. And he said, what will we do with all these people? And Jesus sets them up for a failure. He asks him, where will we buy the bread? So he offers Philip a solution. All we need to do is go and buy this bread, feed them. That's it. That's the solution. But that's not what Jesus intended to do. Do you understand? He offered a solution that was not his intention. But he offered the solution because he knew this is where Philip was at. And Philip knew how much money they had. How much money did they have? 200 denarii. He, Philip is like the Glen of our church. He knew exactly how much money there was. He knew what the need was. He had already calculated in his head before he was asked the question. And knowing Jesus, that's why he asked Philip this question. How are we going to do this, Philip? This is because Jesus knew there wasn't enough money in the account to pay for the bread. So why would he ask Philip where to buy it when he knew there wasn't money to buy it? That's just physically irresponsible of Jesus to do this very question. Drive every accountant crazy. It's just not enough, he said. Andrew also was an accountant of a different kind. Philip looked at what the need was, which is always great, and he looked at what he had, which was not enough. He had money, he had resources, but it wouldn't be enough. He couldn't meet the need. So why, why even begin? Andrew saw the need, and it was great, just like Philip saw it. And then in the moment, he says, but what do we have? What could we use? And he brings it to Jesus and said, I don't know if this helps, but this is what I've got. It's not even mine. It's the lad's but we can beat him up and take it away from him and then share it with everybody. It's for the social good, the greater good. Now, I think the lad shared it and said, hey, Andrew, I got this. And that's the way children are, aren't they? Even a young child, if he's aware of that you've got financial problems in your home and mom and dad are worried about it, they'll go to their piggy bank and they'll give you their three loonies or whatever they've got and say, does this help, Mom? And it really doesn't solve your big bill of $5,000 or whatever it is, but hey, three loonies from a little kid speaks a lot, doesn't it? Of love and compassion. I want to give what I have. I want to be a part of that. I've had my children do that for me when I was a young father, and I've had them do that for me when I was an old father, and I've done it for them as well. And it talks of their love and compassion. But it doesn't pragmatically change the situation of the great need. Jesus got his disciples fixated on finances and supply. And once they were in that place, it looked impossible in the light of the need 
when they looked into the future of what would take place, there just was no route, no plan to solve the problem. And what they lacked, but, and when they looked, they just couldn't understand how they were going to do it. And Andrew was in the moment, not living in the future, but just figuring out what we got. Let's start with that. Now, I don't want you to lose this truth too fast, especially you folks here in Alberta. Most of us are Albertans. Anyone here not an Albertan? Good. One not Albertan. Just excuse us while we talk about Albertans for a bit. For most part, we know the oil industry. You ever hear of that? And we know the boom-bust cycle in Calgary, do we? 34 years, five years ago when I planted a church in Brad Creek Community Church, they were in the bust cycle. I know the bust cycle. And then the boom cycle comes. And then the bust cycle comes. What comes after the bust? Another boom. Good news, I want to tell you, by the way, about the expectations of the future. The scientists tell us we're going into a 150-year uh, cold cycle coming up. Everybody's going to need oil and gas. <laughs> and lots of it for the next 150 years. So don't sweat it. It's all coming. Expectations just shifted. Isn't that great news? So invest, invest, invest. Good buying now. But I want you to know this great truth, you Albertans. Our future is not based on oil and gas. Our future is based on the favor of God. It has nothing to do with oil and gas. God's people, those who put their faith in God by repentance, can prosper in any age, at any time, under any circumstance for the glory of God. But in order to be in that place, repentance is needed first. Now most of you think of repentance as a repentance from sin, which is what Jesus preached. But repentance isn't just a one-time thing, it's a lifestyle. It's something we do every day. Have you ever slapped your forehead and say, I'm an idiot? Have you done that? Yes? yes? Then you know what repentance is. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I've got a large forehead for this very reason. I do a lot of that. What was I thinking? Remember the story of the prodigal son who repents and goes back to the father? Does he stop in the pig pen and say, I'm an idiot? He slaps his forehead. I should go back. What am I doing here? This makes no sense. He had a change of mind. He changed his perspective and said, rather than gambling on the future, which he had done for years and lost everything, he said, I'm going to do the sure thing. i got a dad. He loves me. He'll take me back. I know it. What am I doing? Let's go back to what is real, what is true, and not on what we're projecting and gambling on an unknown future. And he went back to the Father. Repentance is the beginning of miracles. And oil and gas is not our future. You're going to hear a lot of people saying, we need a change in government, and that will change our future. We need a change in economic policies, and that's going to change our future. Vote for me. I'll change your future. You'll hear all those things in the years to come, right? You're going to hear them? You're already hearing them? Balderdash. That's what I say. <laughs> the only thing that will change your future is repentance from that kind of thinking and realizing your future is in the hands of God. And open your heart 
to what he could do right now, not just in the future, but right now with you in this moment, and what he is already doing for you right now. What have you got? Two loaves and a fish? Five fishes and two loaves? What have you got? Begin with that and celebrate what God has already placed in your hands. When you lose this great truth, Albertans, and you go back to oil and gas and the economics and trying to vote your way into a better, prosperous future, when you do that, you're going to end up in a place where you're going to be lost, you're going to be confused, you're going to be frustrated, and you say, is there anyone or anything that can turn this around? And if you've lost the idea that it's only God and God only that can do it, you're going to end up in this lost, confused place. I've got a little advice for you from my survivalist son. If you ever get lost or confused, the best thing to do is stop moving, sit down, and remain calm. And let help come to you. Because if you run around in your anxiety and your fear and you try to find your way out, you're going to waste valuable resources, you're going to get into more trouble, and you're going to get so lost that help can't find you. But if you just stop, sit down, conserve your energy, and let help come to you, right? That's what you do when you're lost. So what does Jesus tell them in verse 35? And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took seven loaves and the fish. And he, giving thanks, he broke them. He started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples started giving them to the people. And they all ate, and they were all satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large basketfuls. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides the women and the children. So when Matthew writes this, he's taught they're, they're, they're seeking Jesus for miracles and wonders, for their lameness, or their sight to be restored, or whatever it might be, or the the sickness and the illness in their body, they don't even understand. They get the healing, and Jesus has compassion for them because he doesn't want the lame person he just healed fainting on the way home. That, that makes no sense. Why would I restore them just to see them collapse later on? I want them to go home healthy and strong and for the miracle to continue. And it tells us that he had compassion on them. And I I found it interesting that the word compassion in here doesn't mean just he felt sorry for them. It, it actually meant that he, he felt it in his gut. He really felt what they were going through, and it hurt. He felt the limb of the crippled. He felt the hurt of the disease. He felt the loneliness of the leopard, and he felt the embarrassment of sinfulness. And once he felt their hurts, he couldn't but help heal because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The question amongst them was, should we follow this shepherd or should we just follow what our uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees have been teaching us, the religious folks? Or do we follow this Jesus who teaches about faith? What does a sheep who has lost his way need? Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each unto his own way. And a sheep without a shepherd can't find their way. A sheep without a shepherd cannot find pasture and food. 
A sheep without a shepherd has no defense against the dangers that threaten them. And we as Albertans, we as people here in Millerville and whoever's listening, we don't know where to go or what to do. We don't know where the food and the resources that we need are. And we don't know how to defend ourselves against those forces set against us to destroy us. We need a shepherd. And we also need a shepherd to shear us. Did you know that? So right now we're in the bust, but what about the boom? The boom is just as dangerous as the bust because that's easier to forget all about God during the boom, isn't it? And that's when you need the shears. There's been more than one story about sheep who have lost their way, end up in a cave someplace. They haven't been sheared for a good long time. And you know what happens to sheep that don't get sheared? They look like me after a big Christmas meal. You know, you eat way too much and they puff up. They can't even feed themselves. They can't graze anymore. All their wool is getting in their way. They're in danger of ending their own lives. And there's been some famous sheep that have been rescued from caves and sheared. And by shearing them, they actually saved them because they were basically hoarding all that wool, getting away from the flock. But in so doing, they were destroying their lives. During the boom cycles, Albertans, we like to enjoy the good times and celebrate that and bring in all that wealth, but it kills our soul unless we give it up and let it go. If you do not believe that God is in your future and you fear the future, you will hoard your wealth against the unknown of the future. But you do not have enough resources, you do not have enough money, you do not have enough intelligence for what is coming because a sheep without the shepherd can't find the pasture or the food or the safety they need or be sheared when they need to be sheared so that more can be given into their life. There's a passage that goes this way. It says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he taketh away, why? So more can be given. The Lord is good and his mercies are new every morning. Out of his compassion, Jesus wanted to sustain what, sustain what he had healed. And why give sight to that blind person just to see them faint? And when the, he asked Philip and Andrew and all the disciples this question, where shall we buy this bread? He got them fixated on that one. But there are often times when you're in having a bad day, you think, where, how am I going to solve this problem? Where am I going to find this money? How am I going to get this a medical problem fixed? How am I going to do this and that? And we just don't see our way through. And while there all these wonderful people are trying to figure this out, they weren't considering the scriptures. But Jesus had in mind what he was going to do. What did he have in mind? I don't know if you notice this, but the Lord's mind often dwelt on the Torah, on the Word of God. And there is a passage found in uh, 2 Kings, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. And I think Jesus' mind went to this passage. It goes this way. Now a man came and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, give them to the people that they may eat. And his attendant said, 
what shall I set before a hundred men? But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over. According to the word of the Lord. And Jesus thinks, oh, there's a passage from the Torah that says this could happen. So what difference does it make to the Lord whether it's 100 or 5,000 plus? Same principle, right? All right, let's have the people sit down and let's share what we've got. What have we got? He's following this to the letter from the Torah. And by the way he fed the 5,000, the work of God began to flow. And it was in this moment that something significant happens. Miracles begin with repentance where we put the wisdom of God ahead of our own. I don't want to assault anyone today, so please don't take this too personally, but please take it personally enough, all right? As wise as you think you are, you're not that wise. You have no idea what's coming. No idea at all. And you might think you've got the rest of the day planned out. Even today, you have no idea what's going to happen in a couple hours. Anything could happen. In Christ Church, their Muslims gathered to worship. They had planned to do a lot of things, and many of them are dead today, and their plans were never realized. You don't have the guarantee of even the rest of the day. You have no idea what is coming your way. You have guesstimations and you have hopes and dreams, but they're based on projections of what you think your day should be like. And if it doesn't turn out that way, you might say, it's not fair, it's not right, my expectations weren't met. What you have right now is right now. Not the future, not the past, but this moment. Jesus uh, had this in mind. And so they started handing out the fish and the barley bread and, and the passage says as he gave it out, he just kept giving it out to his disciples and the disciples kept giving it out from them and, and it just, it, it's in the infinity sense. He just kept giving out and it just didn't empty. Did, are there other places in the Bible where we hear this kind of thing like the widow's pot of porridge? He just kept giving out and giving out. The oil that just kept giving out and giving out. And this is exactly what is happening in this very moment. Same principle, same idea, just on a grander scale. Now, you would think the apostles, while they're doing this, say, boy, look at this, I'm in the midst of a miracle. I'm just, just multiplying in my hands while I'm giving it out. You would think they would get it. And then we say, wow, this is great. The miracle of the moment, repentance. But they didn't get it. Could you be in a miracle right now and you don't get it? Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, 51 to 52. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. If your heart is hardened by what you call realism, you ever use that word? So that you don't understand a miracle when you see them, 
you won't see the miracles that are around you right now. I will understand if you're a realist and you don't get it, that the apostles didn't get it, well, even while they were in the midst of it. Every day is full of miracles, but those who live by faith from day to day see them, and those who haven't repented from uh, their own imaginations of the future don't. But those who live by faith understand and rejoice in each day with the confidence that Father God for the next day. Us realists will be anxious, wondering what we should do about the fearful unknown future. Those who walk by faith only wonder what it is the Lord has for us today. What surprises has he got planned for the kingdom of God? This is how you turn a bad day into a good day, full of miracles and wonders happening before your very eyes. There are river people. Do you know what a river is? Have you ever gone to a river and just sat beside it and watched the water flow you by, right? When you do that, do you feel calm and relaxed by the riverside? And that's because you're looking at a phenomenon that should blow your mind. You can't see where it's coming and you can't see where it's going, but it just keeps flowing. And if you stayed there all day, it would just keep flowing. If you weren't there, it would still be flowing. If you're thirsty, there's no way you could drink all that water. It just flows by you all the time, no matter. And then you think, there's no need to hoard water. Look at all this water. I could never possibly use all this water in my entire lifetime if I ever wanted to. But it doesn't stay. It keeps just moving on. It's never the same water. It's always something else flowing through. And then there's desert people. Desert people are different people because when you're in the desert, you're going to die because there's just nothing. If you don't have it with you, you don't have it and you're going to perish. There's no water. You've got to hoard it. You've got to hang on to it just in case you'll need it. And even if you're thirsty, you don't drink it all right away in the desert, do you? No, you just a little sip, a little there. Just You've got to stretch it out. You don't know how long you're going to be out there and you don't want to die in the desert. I want to ask you, when it comes to your future, are you a desert person or are you a river person? Are you by the flow of God? My God is a river. He flows. And it's fresh every day. Now, there was only one set of people that ever went in the desert and believed in the river of God. And it was Israel. Because every day they were fed by quail and manna and water. And for 40 years, they never went out in the desert. God was making a point about providence. He says, I've got your future. I want your present. Do you understand that? I've got your future. I want your present. I want this moment here right now with you. Because that's all we have at this place. Our future doesn't need to be feared if we have it in confidence in what God can do. Today is the day to repent of what? Of self-sufficiency and turn to the Lord of all creation. Some of you know Matthew chapter 6, 31 to 34, but let's read it again. Jesus taught this, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? 
Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows everything you need. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Repent. Have a good day. A miracle-filled day. When you think of how blessed we are in Jesus Christ, that we are called to serve and to love him. I was a sinner, guilty of sin, with the penalty of death and eternal damnation hanging over my head. Jesus Christ died for my sins. He called me to repent and to receive salvation, and I did that. I went in a moment from a guy who had no future to a child of God who had a guaranteed future in the courts of heaven. I'm going to get a crown of righteousness and a robe, a white robe of forgiveness. The books are going to be wiped clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. When I stand before the throne, every tear will be wiped away, every sorrow will pass away. I'm going to be 19 again, slim, healthy, good looking. (laughs) And I'm going to be with a large majority of my family. That's many of them already there. I'm looking forward to that day. And I get all that. I'm already rich. I've got a guaranteed future I don't need to worry about. Today, so what? It doesn't really matter. Whatever happens today. If I get trials and tests which come into my life, I'm going to trust the Lord for that. Already have, we'll have to again. On Monday... Trials and tests came to many of my fellow residents at the condo. They're worried and they're anxious. Already met that. Lord's got it. I'm not worried about it. I met so many migraines this week. Down the low. Yesterday morning, 3 in the morning, terrible migraine. Worst I've had in a long time. Sitting in the dark room and trying to get control of it. Nothing's working. You know what the blessing was in that day, the miracle is? In the next room, my wife is praying for me. And the Lord moves, miracles happen, and I'm getting up and I'm functioning and I'm better. She intercedes for me. You have miracles around you right now. Any of you have children. If you have children, you have a miracle. We were told, Sandra and I, that we would, uh, when we started out in Bragg Creek and we were... Uh, a couple, three years in our marriage and no children and we wanted to have kids, went to the infertility clinic in Calgary and they told us, John and Sandra, you're never going to have kids. We started looking into adoption. We thought this was the end of it. We were made to be moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas. It was just in us to do that. I went to a pastor's uh, retreat and a pastor's spouse's retreat. I said, this is what's happening. This is what the doctor has said. Would you pray for us? They prayed for us. Three kids came, one right after another. We went back to the pastor's spouse's retreat and said, please stop praying. Three is enough. But as a result, I came to believe that each one of those kids are a miracle. If you have a kid, you have a miracle in your life. You might not be grateful for that miracle, but you have a miracle. 
And now I have grandchildren. Each one's a miracle, a wonder, a gift from God. If you have a spouse, you have a miracle. If you have a pulse, you have a miracle. If you're hearing this message today and you kind of understand it, it's the beginning of a miracle. You're opening your heart to something bigger, to the flow of God. For God's a river. He's not a dam. He's he's not uh, a limited resource like oil that booms and busts. He flows full tilt 24-7 every day. If you would go to the river, you can receive all that you need, more than you could possibly receive. Any of you know this old song? So I went down to the river to pray, studying about the good old way. And who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down to the river to pray. And I went down to the river to pray, studying about the good old way. And who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down. Let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers. Let's go down, down to the river to pray. And as they all went down to the river to pray, he was there. Whenever you come to God by faith, by repentance of your self-sufficiency of what you think the future holds, and just be in this moment the call of God to come, he will meet you there. And you can say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread enough for today because you know what the lord might return by 6 p.m tonight you don't need a costco supply of food in your house if the lord returns by 6 p.m today do you no all those crackers are just gonna rot (laughs) makes no difference you're not gonna use all that toilet paper (laughs) it's all gonna be useless What you've got is a river God who flows into your life today what you need. And you know what he'll do tomorrow? He'll give again. And the day after, he'll give again. That's how God works. Are you a desert people? Are you a river people? Which are you today? If you would repent and turn to God and be a river people, you could turn your bad day into a good day. There is a passage found in the New Testament. It comes from the book of James. And uh, James chapter uh, 5, starting at verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy, having a good day? Let them sing songs of praise, which we already have. Now, if you couldn't get into the worship part, maybe you're not having a good day. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and be healed and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'd like to practice that today. We're going to close our service, and uh, this part of the sharing is going to end, and you're going to go on with your lives and rush to your potlucks and your food, 
Or you could take this moment and opportunity as people are leaving to come to the front and let us lay hands on you, anoint you with oil like it says in James, and pray for the God who provides all good things to provide yet one more good thing in your life. Are you a desert person or are you a river person? Because the river is flowing. It is here right now, all that you need. But only to those who repent of their self-sufficiency and say, I'm an idiot. I should go to God for this. I've already had someone share that with me. I told uh, Janice that I was having migraines. And she said, hmm, if we only had someone to pray for you. <laughs> oh, we do. You idiot. <laughs> Why don't you call out for someone to pray for you if you have a need? This is your moment. The river is here. Dip in. Oh, come on down to the river. Would you stand with me? I want to close with a prayer before we get to the river. Mighty God, we thank you for bringing us to this place, for this moment, for this message that you have shared with us, for what you're speaking to hearts right now by your Spirit. I thank you for each little thing that has happened. Lord, you are talking so profoundly to many hearts right now. I pray, Lord, they don't shut it down just because we're coming to the end. I pray, Lord, that they will do what they know that you are calling them to do, that they'll repent of the idea of just ignoring and going away, that they'll jump in both feet and splash into the goodness that you have for them. I pray, O oh God, that we would not be self-sufficient Albertans ever again, waiting for the God of oil and gas to solve our problems, but that we would turn to you as your people, as your children, repentant and submissive to your commands, to receive the good things you have for us today. As we leave this place, Lord, I pray your grace to remain on these dear people, each and every one, no matter whether rich or poor, healthy or strong or weak and broken. It makes no mind to you. Lord, you feel and you understand every bit. You feel it in your gut. And you want to touch because of your compassion those lives. Sustain them, Lord, in the days ahead, the weeks and the years, whatever time we have left. Sustain him for every good work for the kingdom of God. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go in the peace of God. And the elders and I will be up here if you need us. Amen, brother. Millerville Community Church is a non-denominational country-style church with a huge heart for God. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available. Mm -hmm.